Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. We're back and better than ever with a new web interface for the rest of the NBA season and more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online remains your number one spot for all the basketball and football action this season. Head to the new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code believe 50 to receive your bonus. From basketball, football, NHL, boxing, and UFC, right to your favorite Vegas casino games, don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports. Bet online, where the game starts. At the 50, at the 10, at the 5, still going. Look at the goal. Bullseye! It's a Buffalo touchdown! Hello there, my friends. Welcome back. We've got another edition of Bullseye, the UB Bulls football podcast. I'm your host, Kyrie Demos. And obviously, you guys know this voice. Um, he <laughs> led us off with the intro and the voice of the Bulls for a myriad of years. Um, Paul I'm all Pat. over this thing, aren't I? <laughs> oh, yeah. How's it going tonight, <laughs> sir? I'm doing great, Kyrie. Thanks for having me on. We did this before the season started, and I'm glad we're going to... Uh, Going to do a little recap here, although I'm sure as we get into it, uh, a lot of that stuff that I thought was going to happen back in August uh, didn't necessarily happen. So I guess we can talk a little bit about why. For sure. Yeah, no, it's great to have the book and especially with, you know, seeing how this the season played out. And, you know, for someone like yourself, you've you've seen so much of UB's program's history. And obviously this season was a little bit of a different uh, pace with things just because we were getting back to the normal 12 game regular season schedule after, you know, the shortened 2021 campaign or 2020 campaign. And then also, you know, to think about a coach and, and Mo Linguist coming in and in May, you know, especially after things had wrapped up with spring ball um, with Lance Leipold and the, his era there. But, you know, just first off for you, you know, thoughts on this 2021 Bulls team, you know, the record, I personally don't think speaks to how talented this team was, but things just didn't play out how um, everybody anticipated. Yeah, I think the first thing that, Kyrie, that I think of is the bar has been raised around here. And and I know that I'm disappointed that we're not getting ready to go to a bowl game this mm-hmm. week. You know, and I and I felt that for the first time heading into the uh, finale against Ball State, where it's the first time since arguably 2015 you went into that last game of the year not knowing whether it was going to be the last game or not. In this case, we knew it was going to be the last game. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and again, that's to the credit of where the program has gotten, that there's disappointment around the place that there isn't a bowl game, you know? And, and uh, yeah, and, and I'm surprised, honestly. You know, I, I think uh, I thought there was enough talent here. I thought mm-hmm. there was going to be enough to carry through from the year before um, that would get this team back to a bowl game. But I, I think the reality is, and you touched on it, and we'll certainly get into more of this a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. I think it was it ultimately was probably asking a bit too much mm-hmm. for a coach to take over uh, in May that late into the season, deal with the exits, deal with the entrances, try mm-hmm. to keep the roster going, mm-hmm. fill holes that that some needed to be filled, some didn't anticipate having to be filled. Um and trying to get trying to get the guys to understand a completely new offensive and defensive system without spring ball and our, and really with with minimal time to learn that um, that's I think the mistake that I look back on and thinking about the season was maybe I thought oh they'll be fine with that they'll figure all that out when the reality is uh, it was probably asking a lot for it to happen and I think there were times during the season when you saw games, plays, and results that you could easily trace back to, boy, that's a sign of a team that just is doing a little bit too much thinking because they just don't have it inherently where another, where a normal team that would have had a spring ball might have. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. And, and it's so crazy to think about, you know, I think of the, the Akron win, you know, that was really almost like a zenith of the season just because the team's four and four. It's looking like, hey, we've got a big win in conference. 
you know, pretty favorable schedule down the stretch. But, you know, that really was, you know, where things really just um, the script was flipped from there for for the team. And, you know, to see the landslide down the stretch was tough. But like you mentioned as well, I think um, just to have so many different things playing into this season, leading into the season, you know, for it to be a full season again, for Coach Gamo to be bringing everybody along, not just his staff, you know, some of his systems, as well as some of his, some kids that he had transferred over, trying to fill in for some kids that had transferred out that left on with, with Coach Leipold and his staff as well. You know, it definitely was a lot. And I mean, I just give kudos to him and his, the staff and the team as well for even being able to get to the point that they did. You know, they showed a lot of fight. Um, to be in the position that they were, you know, headed into the the last month of the season. But, you know, like you said, it really just seemed like, you know, everything almost kind of caught up to the program at once. Yeah, and I think the other factor that that I didn't mention that I think that goes beyond the coaching change were the injuries. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, Taylor Riggins early in the year, that Coastal Carolina game was looking like he was a lock for MAC Defensive Player of the Year. Uh, He was dominant. They couldn't stop him. And then when he gets hurt, I think that threw everything off on on a defense that that was already trying to figure itself out with a mm-hmm. brand new system. And then you lose Max Michelle, who had been playing great all year long. Uh, you know, a, a, again, at the level in the Mid-American Conference where the Bulls program is, um, it's hard to absorb those kind of losses, uh, and particularly Riggins, because he was a transcendent, dominant player in the mold, uh, you know, of Malcolm Kuntz and some of the other great defenders that have been around here for the years past. You know, he was headed towards what looked like an eight, a 10 sack season. And all of a sudden you yank him out of there. It, it's almost impossible to replace. So I, I think, you know, and then as the season goes on and, you know, you wind up losing your quarterback, Kyle gets hurt, mm-hmm. misses two second halves then misses the last few games. Uh, all of that was just a little bit of the the icing on the uh, on, on the cake of, of a season that was that it had its fits and starts anyway. For sure. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned Riggins there. That was something that I I briefly talked about in one of my previous shows. And, you know, I just think a guy like him, like the numbers show, I mean, he had four sacks in five games played. And in of those games, he had two sacks each in two games. So, I mean, he can he can pile it up. You know, he's a guy that not only on the field, what he brings to the table, but as a leader as well, you know, a six year guy, someone, you know, locally who has a lot of ties as well. I think he's a guy that this program has really built itself up on. Obviously, you have kids coming in from out of the area and things like that. But someone who is, you know, a Section five kid out of Rochester to make his home, you know, right down um, the 90, um, and, you know, and to have such a successful career and then to follow an injury riddle 2020 season with an injury riddle 2021 season, you definitely hate to see that and, and seeing such a special player going out the way that he did. Yeah. And I, and I think I mentioned the coastal Carolina game. I think in a lot of ways, the coastal Carolina game was the, was the bulls at their best this season. You mm-hmm. know, I mean, that was, you know, I, I know coastal didn't finish quite as strong, but at the time they were a juggernaut. Nobody was stopping. They were scoring 50 points a game mm-hmm. uh, and, and the Bulls, you know, held them to about half of that and pull within a field goal with a chance to win the game. Uh, you know, when everybody was healthy and everything was clicking, you felt like, boy, there's a you know, this is a really good team. And, and, and I think one of the things that that I thought about a lot was some of those close losses early in the mm-hmm. year, um, Coastal Carolina, Western Michigan. Um, to me, that was an indication of the of the coaching change where, you know what, it came down to one or two plays, and maybe those one or two plays were guys that were thinking an extra second before they were reacting because it's a different defense and there were different responsibilities or the offense of scheme was different. You know, the, to me, that's all it takes. That's all it takes is – is just not having that inherent ability to know where to go because it's new, because you didn't have a lot of time to learn it. Um, and that one misstep could be the difference in a play that decides a three or seven point game. So, you know, I really, at that point, I kind of felt like, boy, those are, to me, those are some signs of of what the coaching change tangibly shows up on as the field, shows up as on the field. Absolutely. And and even going off that point, I remember even talking with someone just, you know, out in the community about the team and, you know, what are your thoughts on the team? I was like, they're still coming along. Um, But one comment that they made that I really liked was, hey, you know, 
obviously, like you said, you know, the kids are learning a new system, but like, hey, that's a young staff in itself as well. You know, some guys in positions that may that they may not have been in in prior stints. Obviously, this is Coach Mo's um, first head coaching gig as well. So I think you got to see that in real time, you know, kind of poking and prodding and, you know, changing some things up in terms of game planning and, you know, really trying to establish what their scheme will be moving forward and the type of guys that they'll need to be able to execute those schemes moving forward as well. Yeah. And and again, you know, I think, you know, when you get really into the weeds on it a little bit, you know, Mm -hmm. we had gotten spoiled by an offensive line that was dominant in in the Mac and, you know, and, and, and clearly you lose some of those players, including one that starts for the big 12 champions in Baylor at center and Jacob Gall and, and one that was a great player for Kansas and Mike Nowitzki uh, you, you know, I mean, those were players that that likely could have should have been here had there not been the coaching change. And that's good for them. I'm glad they've found success in other places. But but you went from having an offensive line that was by far the most dominant in the Mac and could really control games and push people around combined with what Jarrett Patterson did as a running back. And you didn't quite have that anymore. Um, and, and that to me showed up in a couple of the games where you felt like, boy, uh, you know, look what they did to Kent state last year. Look what Kent state did to them this year. You know, that the line wasn't quite to that, to that point. It was good. Obviously the Duffy runs for a thousand yards and, and there's a lot of success there, but it, but it wasn't literally, it, it forced your will upon almost everybody like the team did, did for most of the last two seasons. Uh, you know, and then that trickles its way down to, okay, now you can't, run the ball as heavily as you did in the past. And now you have to be a little more balanced. And now to put a little more pressure on Kyle Van Trees and you were a little bit light on the weapons, uh, you, you know, with some of the losses at wide receiver and playing some freshman guys that maybe weren't quite up to the speed and, and tight end wasn't as, as big a threat as it had been in the past. So, you know, all of those things sort of added up in my mind to me as why the offense wasn't quite as dominant as it had been the year before. For sure. You talk, you mentioned, um, uh, even uh, Trevor Wilson, um, you know, he was a guy who was contributing a lot last season as he well. He would have been the Bulls' number one receiver, I think, had he stayed here. You know, and again, you know, we're, we're talking about a lot of the had he stayed kind of stuff. And, hey, that's the world of college athletics, college yeah. football now. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, uh, you know, I think we all, me and the fans have to sort of wrap their head around it. And, you know, it, it's OK. guy, You're going to lose guys. It's going to happen. The, the, sure. the big programs are losing guys, you know. Uh it, it's it, it, there's a new empowerment in college athletics now, and that's great. I'm happy for the kids, um, but it, it just means you have to think about your teams differently. And, and honestly, coaches have to recruit differently. And the transfer portal has become such a big weapon um, and, and at times can be a weapon against you and it can be a weapon for you. And how Coach Mo figures out a way to use that um, to his advantage will, will and every coach will will be really what will determine success moving forward in college athletics? For sure. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that. You know, you know, we actually saw, you know, for the Bulls this season, guys like Keon Williams, Jamarcus Ingram, Josh Rogers, some guys who did come over as transfers. You know, how important do you think it is for Coach Mo to have some impact guys come in this season and show, hey, you know, if you transfer here, you have the opportunity to come here and play, contribute. And, you know, obviously those guys were some of the better guys on our team this season. So for the Bulls to be able to have those guys um, setting a precedent for, hey, you can come in and transfer and contribute. You know, how do you think that'll help in terms of um, bringing some in for next season and and for the next years to come? It has to be, uh, Kyrie. It has to be. I mean, like I said, it's become what college athletics is now. You're going to lose some guys. We've already seen the Bulls lose a couple of guys, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, some some that played, some that hadn't yet as freshmen. Um, And like you said, then you saw some very positives of guys coming here. So, you know, I I think Coach Mo and every other coach now, um, you know, we're headed towards a signing day this week. And I think that signing day is becoming as much a part of the transfer portal signings as it is high school signings. And uh, maybe even more so because those guys are older, a little more mature. Some of them have experience like Keon Williams, who had played for a couple of years at Eastern Michigan, and and you're a little more uh, more ready to say, hey, we we need a second wide receiver or we need a starting guard. You're more likely to fill that hole with a transfer portal kid than you are with a freshman out of high school. Um, so it, you know it's become a lot more like free agency, right? That's the easiest analogy of free agency in the NFL. That's how free agency in the NFL works. Hey, we need a guy here. Let's go find a guy here. 
you know, and obviously it goes back to evaluation. And sometimes it's a power five guy that didn't play very much because he had guys ahead of him. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes it's a uh, FCS guy that was under recruited and has played above his level mm-hmm. um, and now is ready to move up. And then sometimes it's just another group of five guy that that may uh, you know, be dealing with a coaching change or didn't get along with his coach or, or again, maybe, you know, I mean, uh, just today, as we record this, there was a flurry of big name quarterbacks that go in the, that went in oh, the yeah. transfer portal. Um, the, you know, starter Texas A&M, Calzada, uh, you know, yet Bo Nix at Auburn. Well, Jim you're going to see a quarterback from USC. a lot, right? Because there's only one that plays. There's right. only one quarterback that can play. And if there's a guy that's locked into the job, every other guy in that roster is going, wait a minute, I, am I ever going to play here? I'm going to go somewhere I can. Um, and and even at the at the big time level, even if you have a Spencer Rattler, that doesn't stop you from recruiting a Caleb Williams. Right. You know, so the big schools aren't going to stop when they have a guy. So if for whatever reason, uh, either the guy that's the starter sees a, a top 20 recruit get recruiters position and go, oh, I got no chance here. I'm going to I'm out of here or the top 20 recruit that takes that takes that, you know, like yours at Ohio State mm-hmm. um, goes, I'm never going to play here. Look who I'm behind now. Right. I'm going to go look for for a place to go. So so quarterbacks are going to lead the way on that. Um, you know, I don't necessarily know that that's where the Bulls are in the market for a quarterback right now, but eventually they probably will be. And I think you're going to be able to find quarterbacks on the transfer portal that are going to be able to be ready to come in and play right away. And that's a, a completely new phenomenon. Yeah, for sure. It's it's a change in college football landscape. Obviously, you know, transfer portal, NIL. I mean, there's so many different uh, factors now that even when I was, you know, on campus in 2013, so different even from then. So um, you got to have some patience. That's the other. That's what I, th- what I think the negative is about this a little bit. Right. You know, and I get we live in a world where there where nobody has any patience about anything. Yeah. But, you know, how many guys redshirted, um, you know, be, because they needed to redshirt? Um, and had the patience to understand that Khalil Mack, for instance, right? right. Um, you know, and then became great players be- and, and looked back on it and said, the best thing that ever happened to me was that year that I sat out. I was able to, to, to grow as a, as a person, grow as a human being, get used to college, understand the team, the offense, the dynamics. Most guys aren't giving themselves their, that chance much anymore, or they've got people in it around them or like, you know, you don't need to sit. Why'd you sit? You should have played. Yeah. Um, and I think that's the negative to me in all this is that is that I think some careers are going to get derailed permanently because some guys didn't have enough patience to go. You know what? At one point, this was the right place for me. And is it still the right place for me now? You know, granted, at UB, you had a coaching change, and I understand the dynamic, and you can certainly talk to that. Mm-hmm. The relationship with the position coaches is huge in college football, um, and I understand that. And if that if that coach leaves, that sometimes leads a void. Mm-hmm. But you know, the old addict for all the years was you 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 pick a university, you don't pick a coach, right? You pick a university because it, it it's the right place for you. Uh, and it's going to give you the opportunities to to make yourself a better life. Um, and sometimes I feel like kids are too quick to, you know, to bail on a position coach change. For sure. Yeah, it's 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 very true. I mean, there's so many different um, kids that I've seen, even like I remember talking with a coach and they said, you know, if I saw a kid transfer more than one time, like I'm keeping them off my list and my watch list and things like that. I think of a kid like Tate Martell, you know, one of the most highly touted high school players in history. I mean, he's transferred several times now and just the label he's gotten now is, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a very negative connotation for him. And so, like you said, you know, I think it's a fine line, you know, definitely want to be able to bring those kids in who may have just been in a raw uh, situation prior, whether it was they were in a program that may not have been living up to the standards that they thought that they had for themselves as a player. Maybe it's a situation where, like you said, a coach, maybe they don't get along with them, whatever the case is. But, you know, you never want to see those kids who are, you know, just have maybe the wrong group of people around them, the environment around them that um, is influencing their their decision making, because you see it too often. Um, and I feel like more so in college athletics and other um, forms of athletics, you see it where the kid may be making the decision, but there's a lot of people pulling the strings behind doors, behind closed doors that are um, affecting that decision as well. 
Yeah, and I think the redshirt year is is going to be a big factor in all this too. You know, everybody, you know, I, you should have been playing, right? Why didn't I play? I should have been playing as a freshman, right? right. You know, you know, you disrespected me because you didn't let me play as a freshman, and right. you know, and like I said, I think sometimes most, particularly at the UB level, um, most of those kids aren't quite ready to play. That, yeah. That's that's kind of why they're there. If they, you know, uh, there's there, you know, the, the freshmen that step right in and play at the uh, the top 20 or the Ohio state Alabama level are, are, are different, are a little bit different. They, they, they not only physically, but sometimes mentally, um, you know, and, and, you know, I think back to all of us, even in a non-athletic setting, it's like, man, that first year, our heads were spinning For sure. uh, in college. And the best thing might've been like, Hey, just uh, ride this one out and, and, and be ready to go next year. And I just don't know that kids are giving themselves that chance um, you know, to use that year to their benefit. I think sometimes redshirting is viewed as a negative, and I and I think it should be the opposite in in most cases. It should be, hey, we're going to give you this chance to get your feet on the ground, play on the scout team, learn the offense, show your skills, and guess what? You'll be ready to contribute in year number two. For sure, yeah. I mean, I I just think about even myself. Like I came into training camp my freshman year at UB, I was. 255 pounds, 260. So to take that year of learning and developing and growing and things like that, I was able to bulk up that following year. And, you know, obviously I transferred, but I was able to, I was much more ready and prepared because I redshirted. So I I definitely agree with that. I hope, I hope kids take it into a, take it seriously. Like, Hey, you know, you may think your coach, like you said, is disrespecting you, but no, nine times out of 10, you're redshirting for a reason and it's for good reasons. So. Um, mm-hmm. you know, you we talked a little bit about some quarterbacks earlier. You mentioned Kyle Van Trees, um, who went down with injury at some point. And Matt Myers had to step in um for him throughout the 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 latter portion of the season. So just thoughts on the quarterback position at this time. Um I'm not sure if it's, you know, decided on whether either guy is coming back yet or what the status is. Yeah, obviously things are a little different with the you know, extra uh, eligibility because of the COVID season, but just thoughts on the quarterback room at this point. Yeah. I, you know, I mean, I don't, I don't have anything that tells me that Kyle Van Treese and Matt Myers are not going to be back and, mm-hmm. and, and a couple of the other kids in the quarterback room as well too. Mm-hmm. Next year, obviously all that can always change. Uh, you know, I thought Kyle played very well early in the year. Um, I, I think, you know, as the year went on a little bit, you, you know, I think he started to press a little bit. He was trying to make plays, uh, when they were struggling, particularly in the passing game, mm-hmm. uh, you know, there really wasn't a, a, um, a consistent threat beyond Keon Williams. And I think as the year went on, teams started to take Keon Williams out a little bit. Yeah. Dominic Johnson had some flashes. You know, you had some flashes from Jamari Gassett, but mm-hmm. but I don't know about enough consistency in the passing game. So it's not all on Kyle. It's not right. all on Matt. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you know, uh, the pass blocking wasn't quite as good as the year went on as I think the guys wore down a little bit. For sure. Um, I think you needed more out of quarterback. And I, and I think Kyle and Matt would be the first ones to tell you that you, you needed more out of them. Um, it was, it's not the same team the last two years where the quarterback to get by by throwing the ball a dozen times a game, right. uh, you know, and use a couple play actions because everybody was jacked, was jacked up to stop the run. Um, it, it, you know, that, that backed off a little bit. So there was more pressure on the quarterbacks to have to make plays and, uh, you know, I thought Matt, I was surprised that Matt struggled as much as he did in the last two starts. Mm-hmm. Um, there were flashes, um, you know, I, I, you know, in, in some of his time in there that I thought he looked terrific and, and against Northern Illinois, you know, get the sure. Bulls the chance to tie the game up and, you know, and unfortunately things happen there in overtime and I feel horrible for the kid because, you know, it's not all his fault, but that's right. all anybody saw was the fumble in overtime. Um, you know, and, and I, the ball state game is probably a little bit of an unfair evaluation. I just kind of feel like the whole team just sort of the worn down for the whole season. Um, Mm. but, but Matt wasn't as consistent as I was hoping that he would be. Um, you know, I think that's still there. You still see the physical skills and the ability to run, the ability to throw and get a great arm. Um, he's got to become a little more refined. Um, Kyle probably has to open it up a little more for sure. You know, sometimes he's a little too patient and a little too conservative and a little bit, maybe afraid to make the big play. I think he's got the skills and the smarts to do that. Um, Beyond that, you know, there's a couple of young quarterbacks that we haven't seen very much of. And I know there was a, a kid that redshirted by the name of Brian Plummer that they were pretty excited about, a little more of a athletic running quarterback. And I know I don't 
You know, I know at one point there was a recruit coming in from Cincinnati that was pretty well thought of as an athletic running quarterback. I'm not sure where that's all at right now. So I, I guess, it, you know, even though you're going to bring, likely bring Kyle and Matt and the rest of the guys back, there's probably as much of a question mark at quarterback that there's been around here since, uh, you know, before Tyree Jackson. And, and, yeah. and, you know, so it's been a while since you've, you've sort of wondered about quarterback going into next season. For sure. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, you know, obviously it, you can't really always boil things down to stats, but, you know, combined between Matt and Kyle, um, it was 12 touchdowns to 11 interceptions. Um, you know, that's just, you know, like you said, it's just not going to get it done. But like you also said, too, I do think it was a total package situation. You know, I think, like you said, with some of the the weapons that um, left whether that's Trevor Wilson, Antonio Nunn, um, whether that's, you know, even implementing a new system. Um, I know Shane Montgomery is a very respected OC, but, you know, he was trying to, to you know, move on the fly with bringing these guys along, like you said, with no spring ball um, and to try to implement, you know, an offense the way he was. You know, I like I said, kudos to him and the staff. Um, for being able to have the successes that they did. I mean, this was an offense that still, you know, was really dynamic in the running game, still had a lot of moments in the passing game as well. Keon Williams, you know, was an all-MAC recipient as well. So, you know, there were flashes, but like you said, I just don't think there was enough time to really, for those guys um, as quarterbacks in particular, to really be able to get the most out of not only themselves, but the unit overall. Yeah, I, I think everything you said is 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 pretty fair, you know. And again, we go back to where we started our conversation, which was, you know, it, it was a lot to ask everybody, especially the quarterback. And Kyle's a really smart kid, and I don't, uh, you know, he would never give that as an excuse on his own. But but you you had to ask him to learn a whole new offense with a whole new style of play calling and a whole new setup. And even though I think in some degrees it was a little simpler than what it had been under the previous coaching staff, it was still new. Yeah. Um, you know, and then combine that with, you know, uh, a, a first year redshirt freshman right tackle that was up and down a little bit and some injuries on the line and and, uh, you know, and the and the, the situation that you talked about at wide receiver, it was it was a bit a bit much to ask. Now, all that said, you know, thank God for Dylan McDuffie and his emergence this year, uh, particularly with the with with Kevin Mark sort of battling injuries all season long. Um, there wasn't a big drop off at running back, which uh, which I think when we had our conversation in August, we didn't expect there would be. But that was because we figured it would be Kevin Marks that would be the one sort of taking the mantle from Jarrett Patterson. And in turn, it sort of reality, it wound up being Dylan McDuffie. For sure. Yeah. And I'm so glad you mentioned Dylan because, you know, I had him on the show last week. And when I talked with him and even before the season, one thing that really stood out to me was, you know, during media day. I was like, well, Dylan, you know, what do you think it is that, you know, in your time here that you've grown the most with? And he said he really thinks it's maturity. And I think that just speaks to the type of player he became this season. For you to see the situation play out the way it did, you know, he's coming in really in a lot of people's eyes, the third back behind um, Kevin Marks and Ron Cook. But for him to come in, really become the lead dog, you know, obviously becomes an all-Mac selection, a slew of 100-yard games really be the centerpiece of the offense the way he was you know just just what were your thoughts on how he was able to contribute yeah I, I feel like we've always seen some glimpses from from Dylan in years past in the very limited playing time that he got and you're like sure. man that kid runs hard he's a big body you mm-hmm. know I mean he he looks legit but you know he was stuck behind Kevin and Jared so there weren't a lot of opportunities there and I think one of the early points when I really thought that Dylan McDuffie was going to have a special season was when coach Mo had said that he was by far the hardest working kid in the off season, you know, and, and I give Dylan credit for that. And, and that leaves an impression with a new coach that's sort of like got everybody on an even, you know, show me, you know, everybody's even now you guys show me what, you know, who, who deserves more playing time. And I think Dylan took that and ran with it literally and figuratively. Mm-hmm. And when, when coach Mo said he was by far the hardest working, most impressive player in the off season, I'm like, huh, that's pretty interesting. And now I can start to put the pieces together that you've got the talent, you've got the hard work, you have a coach who is who is not necessarily, I mean, you know, Coach Mo knew what he had. He knew how good Kevin Marks was, he knew right. how good Cook was. Right. Um, but but I think part of it is human nature of I'm gonna start with everybody even and you guys show me who deserves 
more of the time. And good for Dylan for recognizing that and running with it. And then when Kevin got banged up a little bit, um, you know, it, it got to the point where it, it didn't matter that Kevin Marks was top five all-time career-leading rusher. Um, Dylan McDuffie was too good to take off the field. And and he proved it with with all the accolades you mentioned, the 1,000-yard season and all Mac. And, um, you know, I, I was incredibly impressed with not only I knew he was a hard runner, but I thought he ran with better wiggle and speed and was more of a threat in the passing game than I would have anticipated just because we hadn't really seen a lot of that. For sure. Yeah, he he definitely did a little bit of everything. And and I think like even just going off of what you said, I think the the nicest thing or the the coolest thing about it is he does have another level that he can get to. I do think he can show even more in the passing game. And, you know, obviously, like you said, he was able to to show a level of shiftiness. I think he can even add to to that in the offseason. And just if he continues to work, you know, there's no telling what, you know, the potential that he can reach um, and the level that he can reach just because he's got, he really has a traditional three down back um, skill set, you know, where he, he's, a, you know, as has grown as a blocker downhill runner. And like you said, has improved as a receiver. So, you know, the sky's really the limit for him. Yeah. And it was neat to get to know him a little better through the course of the season and some of the interviews that we did. And mm-hmm. I know you talked to him as well, but mm-hmm. you know, the influence of his relationship with Isaiah, his cousin yes. um, and what Isaiah did to get, to become a a star player at Boston College and make the NFL's Packers as an undrafted free agent, you know that that leaves an impression. I, and and I'm and and I know I've asked Dylan this, and I know he's answered it that 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 had a lot to do with opening his eyes to his potential and what he needed to do to reach that potential. You know, and then I, it's just you know, I mean, again, he's part of a great family. I've known uh, his uncles Steve and and Teddy and Chris for a long time since they played at UB. They're all incredible guys they've all gone on to do incredible things uh in coaching in high school administration and in community service so so you know hey we all we we're all kids at one point and think we know everything and then you reach that tipping point where you're like hey wait a minute i didn't know everything uh and look at all these people around me that can teach me some of the things that i don't know and as long as you break let that kind of welcome that into your world you'll reap the benefits. And I think Dylan's a prime example of that. For sure. It's like, you know, it's like what coach Mo always says, it's what you, what you grow through, you know, it's not what you go through. It's what you grow through. And he grew through a lot of different moments. You know, there were some things that, you know, he had to, you know, look himself in the mirror about and and improve um, inwardly before he could show those skills and those talents outwardly. So, you know, big shout out to him and the season he put together. Say goodbye to dull gifts. Lightbox lab-grown diamonds are the brightest gift of the year. Using cutting-edge technology and innovative techniques, they've cracked the science of sparkle, creating the highest quality lab-grown diamonds you can find at a light price, just $800 per carat. They have the same chemical makeup of natural diamonds, but just are grown in a lab. Because of their process, they can create stones in blush pink and beautiful blue, as well as classic white. Lightbox lab-grown diamonds are the gift they'll never want to take off, priced so they won't have to. They really do make any outfit sparkle. Visit lightboxjewelry.com to add sparkle to your holiday shopping. That's lightboxjewelry.com. Lightbox diamonds. Never a dull moment. So. Changing things up now, switching over to the defensive side of the ball. You know, I think um, just talking about the UB defense, you know, I, I think there were so many moments where, you know, I was, it was tough to see because, you know, you know, Coach Mo is a defensive minded coach, Joe Cawthon coming in with him as well and his staff, you know, and I just think there were just too many moments where the defense was giving up big plays. I, I One stat that I read today um you be allowed 6.3 yards per play versus 5.4 yards per play um, as an offense that they had. So to give up that many yards per play and the def- or the rush defense was always, you know, a major issue. Eight of the 11 opponents at the FBS level that you be played this fall rushed for over 200 yards. So, you know, just just what were your thoughts on, you know, the defense and, you know, just some things that you saw throughout the season? 
Yeah, I mean, it was a much different defense, dramatically different. You know, I mean, the Bulls over the last couple of years had been one of the best defenses in the MAC because they they didn't give up big plays. They, there was yeah. a little bending, um, but not a lot of breaking. Um, and and it was a defense that could control games, which there aren't a lot of those in the MAC. I think it always gave the Bulls an advantage that you had a defense that uh, the typical MAC team that figures on scoring thirty points on a given day, because almost all the MAC teams score thirty points every weekend all of a sudden would come in and play Buffalo and go, "Uh uh-oh, wait a minute, we're not going to score 30 points today. Um, I always thought that was a huge advantage. And um, Joe Coffin's defense was a much different approach, um, you know, much more aggressive, much more uh, make big plays, you know, force other teams into mistakes. And and there's a risk-reward that goes along with that. And, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, I think the the count got up over 20 this year um, in 40-yard plays allowed by the Bulls' defense, which was, I think it was almost two average per game. Uh, mm. It's hard to win that way. You know, I mean, yeah. you can't give up big plays like that. They gave up a lot of big plays. Um, we saw that from very early in the year. Um, you know, it, it, and, it, and that was something that never really changed. And I'm sure that was a product, again, of the injuries, of the guys trying to learn a completely different defense. But I've always said that while we, we we lavished all that praise on Jarrett and the running game and the offense over the years, that to me the success of the Bulls over the last four or five years had more to do with the defense than anything else for the reasons that I said to you, is that it gave them such a big advantage in the MAC in a conference where really nobody plays defense. I ran the numbers at one point, and, you know, and particularly in action games, it was like the average score was like 36 to 29 wow. in action games. So you know, so again, it's an offensive league. It's always been that way. Mm-hmm. But when you can look what, you know, and, and, and look at over the years, the Northern Illinois of the year in Central Michigan and, and uh, you know, and even Northern Illinois this year a little bit, like when they play a little bit of defense, yeah. uh, Miami of Ohio, particularly mm-hmm. a team that's always been a really good defense. When you play a little bit of defense, it, it, it gives you a big advantage and the Bulls lost that advantage. Now, can they get it back? We'll find out, you know. Um, but but I thought, you know, again, the, the injuries hit the defense the hardest. You lost a couple starting corners as the year went on. Mm. That's hard to overcome. You lose Riggins. You lose Michelle. You lose Kyler Lang. Uh, you know, all those guys, the safeties were kind of in and out all year long. So, it, it, yeah, there was a lot of struggles on the defense. So some of them based on the, the new scheme, some of them based on the personnel losses. But but uh, but too many big plays um, and not enough consistency, I think, were the things that hurt the defense the most. For sure. And then even added to that, you know, I think one other factor is just the lack of f- turnovers forced. Just three interceptions <laughs> yeah. on the defense and then nine that was, fumbles. Yeah, that was it's hard, it, you know, particularly with that style of defense. It's predicated mm-hmm. on creating turnovers and making big plays and defense. And one year, Joe Coffin's team led the country in defensive touchdowns. Yeah. Um, those come from turnovers, right? right? So when you're not getting them um, and you're struggling to prevent the big plays, that's that's a hard combination to overcome. Absolutely. Yeah, no, it's tough. It's it's definitely um, not the way you want to be living with that style of defense. But like you said, you know, hopefully things can, you know, for 2022 are looking up in, in terms of that. And, you know, that with a year up under the system, a spring ball, you know, um, and everything like that, I just think, you know, hopefully that can lead to some some changes. Um, yeah, the big picture, Kyrie, is I think it's probably unfair to evaluate much of Coach Mo and his staff based on this year agreed. for the reasons that we said earlier. I mean, it's 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 you know everybody gets evaluated and everything. I get that, yeah. but the big picture is it, it, it you almost have to throw this year out a little bit. For sure, um, and, and and to some degree, that's going to be true with a lot of the new coaches around the country mm. who come in and take over a team of guys that they didn't recruit and lose guys to the portal and try to bring new guys in. Um, so, so it's a little unfair to, to base the, the, the progress of the program mm-hmm. on what we saw last year when you asked a coach to do something no coach had ever been asked to do before. Right. Um, so that, you know, I still have faith in coach Mo. I think he knows what he's, I know he knows what he's doing. Um, I know he can get the best out of his players. I know he can go out and get more players uh, and new players to fill in, uh, in the kinds of roles that he wants them to do. So I think it, for any Bulls fan out there, um, it, it's probably a much uh, more fair evaluation of whether this guy is the right coach or not. Um, probably won't come from a year from now, and hopefully a year from now we're uh, we're, we're gearing up to uh, head to another bowl game. Yeah, hopefully after a you know Mac title win and you know getting ready for 
for, you know, like you said, postseason play again. And, you know, I'm glad you mentioned that, though, because I feel like especially with with the college game, I don't think people give enough credit to how important development is. I mean, these are young people, you know, 18, 17, 18 to 22, 23, even 24 year olds, um, you know, who are really still learning and growing. And, and like you mentioned, to have a coach come in such a short manner, to have him come in and to even be able to lay the foundation that he did in, in 2021, I think is astounding. Um, I think there's a lot of pieces to work with, um, not just player wise. I think the scheme, you know, he uh, Coach Mo has ingrained that, you know, he he's going to play a certain way. His teams are going to play a certain way. And, you know, whether he's able to get the guys to fill in those voids from there, I think that's obviously um, still left to be seen. But at the same time, too, I think with Coach Mo, for him to come in and to, like we said, just lay the foundation that he has, I think is important. Um, you know, just in terms of looking ahead to 2022, you know, what are some things that you think UB can hang its hat on most um, looking forward to the next season? You know, I think, you know, we, we could start with some individual players, you know, uh, James Patterson, obviously had a great year all over the field, uh, you know, probably at times tried to do a little more than he should have in, yeah. in just because he's James Patterson and, right. you know, and, and he was trying to make every play and that's probably not realistic. Uh, I, I was incredibly impressed with Damon Williams, For sure. uh, a guy we didn't know very much about a junior college transfer. He wound up being, I think, at times their best player, mm-hmm. um, you know, and they even kicked him out the defensive end as the year went on. And he made plays all over the place. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, whether they decide to keep him a tackle or end wherever he winds up going, um, you know, he's going to be a, a, a star in that team. You know, you saw glimpses from the defensive ends and Kyler Lang and CJ Bazio. I thought Sean Dolak played great when they put him Absolutely. in the starting lineup, but he's a, you know, classic Buffalo guy, not big enough, not fast enough. Um, but you know, doesn't, isn't going to check a lot of the boxes, but you put him out there and he's going to get 14 tackles. Yeah. Um, and those guys have a place in college football mm-hmm. and certainly a place in this program. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, you know, the, the, the secondary I think is where there needs to be, you know, some, some new, either the same players better suited to the scheme or some new players in there, you know, I think the, the Bulls struggled at the, in the secondary, um, you know, you've got some good players coming back on the offensive line, um, you know, and I, I think there's a, you know, there's a lot of young players that were, that, you know, we saw a little bit of that we'll likely see more of as the season goes on, um, you know, um, but, but, you know, again, it's, it's becoming, in the old days, you used to be able to say, okay, these guys are all coming back, uh, you're bringing back four starters on the O-line, you're bringing out, you're bringing eight of your 12 starters back and you're going to be fine there. Well, it's not that anymore. You don't know which guys are leaving. You don't know which guys are coming in. You don't know which guys Mo is going to bring in that he feels are better suited to the kind of style that he wants to play. So you might have a higher number of new starters next year, but if they're better suited to what is going to go on within the scheme, then that's not necessarily a negative. So, um, you know, I felt I feel like there there are some really talented players on this team. Um, you, you know, um, and and I want to see how how they settle in um, with a full year to prepare. Uh, and then, like I said, there's going to be some new guys that we may not know a whole lot about that eventually we will. Um, and, 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 you know, again, the bar has been set pretty high here and, yeah. you know, everybody keeps going, where's the next Anthony Johnson? Where's the next Jared Patterson? Right. Um, they, they may be there. We just might not know about him yet. So, um, I have all the faith in the world that, in, in, that coach Mo is going to get the right kind of players in here. Um, and, and that there's, that this team is going to be able to get back to the consistent seven, eight win team that goes to bowls every year. For sure. I, I wholeheartedly agree. And I think, you know, like you said, I think the biggest thing is just being able to see Coach Mo get this group, mold the clay a little bit, being able to work with them entire an entire offseason. I think that's the most important thing. And, you know, being able, like you mentioned, being able to bring some of those guys back. Um, I mean, bringing those running backs back, I think that's going to be huge. And having that identity on that side of the ball with, you know, hopefully an improvement on the defensive side of the ball, it'll be uh, I think it could be a team that looks much more like Buffalo football that we've seen um, in the last handful of years. You know, a team that has a true identity, stopping the run and, um, you know, being able to run the ball. And then obviously, you know, attacking in the passing game off of that. But you know, I think 
um, just knowing that, you know, this team was, you know, really just, I don't want to say thrown together, but it was a team that was sped up. Um, so to, to be able to see them be able to take their breath, take a deep breath, you know, work through the rest of the semester in terms of school and things of that nature. But, you know, once 2022 kicks off, everybody's back on campus from, back from, uh, winter break. I think, you know, they really can get the ball rolling and, you know, hopefully it leads to more wins in 2022. Yeah, and I, I mentioned a bunch of names on defense, and I'll mention a bunch of names on offense. Again, we saw some brief glimpses of Mike Washington, mm-hmm. um, uh, Jamari Gassett, Cameron LeBourne, Bernard mm-hmm. Porter. Uh, y- you know, I mean, you you saw a little bit of those guys, maybe not as consistently as you would have liked to, but I think some of those guys were probably thrown in earlier than normally they would have been thrown in. And that consistency is generally the last thing that comes there. Mm-hmm. You know, I think you saw like a kid like the starting center, Bensi Polgar, who struggled early in the year. They had trouble with the snaps. And then all of a sudden, we didn't talk about that the, the whole back half of the season and became, became a really good player. Um, DeAndre Dorian, the right tackle. Like, you know, early in the year, you know, they're being thrown in as first-year starters. They're trying to learn. You're throwing them in against Nebraska and Coastal Carolina and some of those teams. And as the year went on, I thought, you know, those guys settled in and started to be good players. So that mm-hmm. to me, that's that's the next steps that, you know, you need Tyler Stevens, the yeah, tight end. I'm glad you, know, you mentioned Glimpses of a, you know, he looks the part, glimpses of it. You know, can he be a consistent four or five catch game guy mm-hmm. um, and stretch the middle of the field. So, so if a lot of those names become more consistent in bigger roles and settle into the offense better, you know, those are going to be the stars of this team, you know, moving forward, the, the Kyler Langs, the Damon Williams, the, the, the Dolax, uh, you know, all, all of those guys, uh, you know, are the future here. For sure. Yeah. Dolak reminds me so much of Travis Pizanka. Like, I don't know. It's just something about him. But Lee um, Stockman, uh, Jake Stockman, Lee Skinner. Like, oh, yeah. you know, there's always a place for guys like that who are too small, too slow, but just go out there and and beat you up and make a bunch of plays. The quote unquote. Thumpers. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a fact. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned Tyler Stevens as well. Um, even Giov- Giovanni Ruiz. Um, I mean, it'll too- be back. Yeah, for sure. So, that was an unsung loss, Tyree. That at, at that early in the year, he looked great. He was a veteran. He knew the he knew how to play that slot. He had that. He had a little bit of Welker Edelman in yes. him, you know. And then all of a sudden, he gets hurt. And and I remember at the time, it's like, well, okay, we got all these young guys that we're all excited about. Can't wait to see them. And and in reality, as the season went on, you're like, man, um, kind of missed, kind of missed Giovanni Ruiz. And, yeah. Um, and good for him. He'll be back for his seventh year, um, which is amazing because of the COVID year. Yeah. But but I think he's going to be able to help this team a lot next year. For sure. He can take the top off the defense a little bit. Like you said, playing in that slot, you know, that's an important role. So, all righty, sir, I really appreciate you. Your time, as always, is, is so valuable to me. Um, you obviously keep leading the way. Just thank you for everything. And before I let you go, any special holiday plans? Uh, you know, not, not too much, you know, I'm going to kind of hang around here. I've got all the family and the kids are all here in town. I've got some basketball duties over at UB to do. So, uh, been doing some basketball and some wrestling. So Mm -hmm. there's a couple of those events, uh, coming up in the Christmas week. So keep it pretty, pretty quiet here. You know, most of the families around here, my wife's family. So, so we'll just, we'll play it cool and, uh, kind of hang out up here and uh, just have a nice holiday. And I, and I hope everybody for you and your family and, Everybody and all the Bulls fans uh, have a great holiday. Uh, you know, it's it's always fun for me to talk Bulls football. Love talking to people when I see them in the stadium, when I see them out, when I see them basketball. Um, it, it's such a good community of people that care, and that's all you that's all you can ask for. You just you want fans that care, and I know there's a lot of Bulls fans that do, and hopefully a lot of them will listen to this for sure. I know it's it's crazy to think that you know we've had some Bulls fans who've been spoiled to the fact that we they've seen nothing but success in the last five yeah. years. So, you know, Hey, hopefully we can see those fans seeing those same results, you know, in the, um, in the near future. Yeah, I hope so too. Like you said, it's, uh, it's great that the bar has been risen here. It's been an incredible run of the last five or seven years here of winning on, on women's basketball, men's basketball, football. Um, and like I said, that's why it feels kind of empty when, when there's, the inevitable little bump in the road like there was with football, you know, to, you know, like you said, what do you mean we're not going to a bowl game? Right. I love going to bowl games. Bowl games are awesome. They're fun. 
You know, I was getting a little jealous. I, you know, because the bowl games all start this week. I think I saw yeah. Toledo left for the Bahamas today. And I'm like, oh, man, that was us. That was us a couple of years ago. Yeah. Like, oh, this was awesome. I want to go back there. So uh, I, they'll, they'll, it'll all happen again. I know it will. It definitely will. I have faith in it just like you do, sir. So we'll definitely see it. Hopefully it's just a reload to relaunch. That's all. There you go. Reload's a good word. I'm sure Coach Mo would like that word too. <laughs> Absolutely. Alrighty, my friends, for Paul Peck, this is Kyrie Demo signing off from Bullseye, the UB Bulls football podcast. Happy holidays and stay tuned, my friends. We'll be back in 2022. So we'll keep you posted. Horns up. Before I let you all go, this is just a quick reminder that today's episode was brought to you by Bet Online. Now remember, horns up and go Bulls. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.